Okay, tonight's reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And at the end, I am going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to say, thanks be to God. So, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind not on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Welcome, my name is Jason, the pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us tonight. Um, Thanks for finding your way to us. I know it was a little bit tricky to find parking tonight with the festival going on and everyone moving to town. Um, If you are new here, this is the time of year where a lot of people are moving to town. So if you are new to town or new to Grace, First of all, welcome. We're really glad that you are here, but we would love to help you get connected to the relationships or the information that you're looking for. So um, tonight you can go back to our offering box, which is a black box at the back of the sanctuary here, and you can find this blue card along the side, and you can fill that out and drop it in the box, and we will get you connected to the information that you're looking for about how to get involved here at Grace Downtown. So you can do that, and we'll get you connected. You have come at a time when we are preparing our hands and our feet for the mission that God has called us to. We spent the first part of the summer preparing our hearts as we went through the book of Jonah. Reach out and find their creator. So as we prepared our hearts for the mission that God has called us to, we now want to prepare our hands and our feet. Tonight, we are going to be looking at the scripture that Laura read for us, and we are going to be talking about preparing our mind with gospel truth. How do we prepare our mind for the mission that God has called us to? So we are going to look at this kind of concept by concept in Colossians 3, and we are going to see what God has for us. For us to worship God and experience the life that we truly want— we must first think rightly about who God is. And then we can believe in light of what we know about him. What we know about God through scripture, what we think about when we picture God, impacts the things that we believe. And what we believe impacts our daily experience, our daily reality. In the book of Jonah, we saw a man who knew about God and knew many things about God and had even been called by God, but he chose to go his own way and not experience the full picture of who God was or what God had for him or the kind of life that he had really called Jonah to as being a part of his kingdom. So how do we experience the kind of life that God has for us? the kind of life that actually we truly want, even if we cannot articulate it. It's found in one simple concept in Colossians 3 that has profound implications for every part of our daily life. Would you join me in prayer? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from you tonight. Thank you that you have not remained silent, but you have spoken through your word. You have spoken through your spirit. You have spoken through your people. God, we have already heard from you tonight. We have already had an opportunity to worship you. We pray that we would continue to hear from you as we look intently into your word, which gives life and freedom and joy and ultimately a picture of who you are, God. In Jesus' name, amen. When you think about God and when you think about the gospel, do you think in abstract terms like I often do? Often, we think about God and we think about him very abstractly. And this has implications for our everyday life. If we are thinking about God and the gospel and his interaction with mankind in an abstract way, it's going to be very hard for us to apply those things in a specific way. If we are thinking abstractly about God when we picture him, then it will be hard for us to apply him concretely to our everyday lives. Let me give you an illustration to kind of um, point towards what I'm getting at here. Uh, I have always, as I have been near mountains, wanted to run up the side of a mountain or at least a foothill. I've always wondered, what would it be like if I just took off and started running? Could I make it to the top? This, to this point, someone's already shaking their head. <laughs> no. Um, to this point, it has just been a dream. I've gone hiking in the mountains, and I've gone hiking in the foothills. I've gone hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park. But it's always been on kind of well-groomed tra- trails and switchbacks, and kind of you drive up to elevation, then you get out of your car, and you walk a mile, and then you get back in, and you say you hiked a mountain. This, is, this idea, this goal of hiking up the side of a mountain has remained an abstract concept to me. Until this week, on Thursday, my son Micah and I went on a rite of passage trip as he's turning 13 and entering junior high, and we went to Colorado Springs, and we did something called the Manitou Incline in Manitou Springs. It goes straight up the side of a 10,000-foot mountain. It is a groomed trail, but it has railroad ties for each step. And you take one step, and you can get to the next railroad try, and there are 2,794 steps. As we approached the bottom of this, I thought, okay, this is, this is okay. This is better than not doing it at all, but I really had in mind just taking off up a hill. But I guess if we have to take a real well-groomed trail and someone else puts steps for us, I guess I'm good with it. So we start out on this journey, and the first few steps, my son Michael looks at me and goes, this isn't so bad. This isn't as bad as I thought. I'm like, no, this isn't bad at all. Then we reach 300 steps. Every 100 or 200 steps, they mercilessly tell you how far you've gone. (laughs) After 300 steps, it got a little bit more challenging. And at 400 steps, we took our first break. At 500 steps, we took another break and started questioning if this was a good idea at all. It turns out that the abstract concept of climbing a mountain was far more exciting, easy, and doable than actually doing it in real life. An abstract concept of something and the reality of what something is are two very different things. Far too often, we have 
maintained or been satisfied with an abstract concept of who God is. We've had an abstract concept of what the gospel means. We've had an abstract concept of what God wants for our everyday life. And in so doing, we have been like me with mountains for the last 41 years. Really just passing by with an abstract idea of what the mountains are really like. Our passage today gives us a concrete understanding of who God is, what he has done for us, and what he wants us to do. Look with me at Colossians 3. We'll start with the first part of verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. We're going to stop right there. If you then have been raised with Christ. Paul, in this letter to the church in Colossae in chapter 3, starts this verse 1 with the word if, and it's a big if. Everything that he is about to say, not only in our section today, but the rest of Colossians chapter 3, is only true if you have been raised with Christ. For many of us, we miss really the concrete nature of who God is, what the gospel is, and what he wants for us because we keep it too abstract, we forget about it, we don't do spiritual disciplines. But for some of us, we're missing who God is because we haven't been raised with Christ. And we remain dead spiritually, dead in our trespasses and sins. And we may go to church We may listen to sermons. We may kind of play the Christian game. But at the end of the day, God remains an abstract concept. And this could be because we have not yet been raised, delivered, forgiven from our sins. I'm not trying to make genuine believers question their salvation. I'm not trying to wig you out and make you feel shame. But it is important that we stop right here and see that this qualifier, if we have been raised with Christ. It's good for us to take stock, to make sure that we are truly in the faith and not just going through the motions. Everything that Paul is about to say, everything that we are about to talk about here applies to those who have been raised from the dead spiritually and raised with Christ, which we'll talk about as we go throughout here. Both the Bible and our own experiences teach us that there is no hope for us spiritually on our own. We cannot raise ourselves spiritually. We cannot clean up our act enough. We cannot do more good than bad things so that God will start loving us. So we remain longing for something that we can't quite Put a finger on. We know something is wrong. We know something is missing. There will be many students and many people that move to town and they're coming to town looking for something even though they don't know that it's God and they can't quite put their finger on it. The author Julian Barnes, who is clearly an atheist, puts that longing well when he says, I don't believe in God, but I sure do miss him. 
if then you have been raised with Christ. If then, we continue on in verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So here, right from the very beginning, Paul is going to tell us what we need to do, what we need to focus on. And he puts these two things in contrast or competition with one another, setting our mind on things of the earth and setting our mind on things above. What does it mean to set our mind on the things of the earth? Well, it's easy. It's our default view of the world. It's how we wake up each day. We wake up each day with our mind set on the things of the earth. Even if you have been raised with Christ, even if the rest of this verse applies to you, we wake up each day with our default view as having our mind set on the things of the earth. It comes naturally. So what does it mean to have our mind set on the things of the earth? A few things here. It means our mind is set on self. We are by nature narcissistic. We think that the world revolves around us. To set our mind on the things of the earth means to think about what is of the flesh and not of the spirit. So what is of the flesh? Setting our mind on the things of the earth focuses on the suffering that we endure because of our sin, because of sin done to us, because of the fallen world we live in, we can focus on the suffering. That's setting our mind on the things of the earth. Setting our minds on the things of the earth means hedonism. Just getting the most we can out of our fleshly experience. It means worshiping the creation. It means consuming more and more things that hopefully will bring us a temporary pleasure. It's setting our minds on the things of this world instead of the things of God. It's going with the flow. It's doing what everyone else is doing. It's doing what the other people in your dorm are doing. It's doing what the other people in your workplace are doing. It's doing what maybe your family did. It's just default doing what everyone else is doing. But we're told here to set our minds on things above. So if setting our minds on earthly things is default and what we do most naturally, we see here that setting our mind on things above takes intention, effort, and change. Intention, effort, and change. It's built right in here when Paul says to seek the things that are above. That word seek means an intentional looking. We are intentionally looking at the things above. We don't default value the things of God. We don't default have our minds on heavenly things. We don't default value the things that God and his word value. We don't default have a proper view of God. We don't default believe the gospel. We don't default have spiritual life. So setting our minds on things of heaven, seeking The things that are above, where Christ is, takes intention, takes effort, takes seeking. In contrast to the default earthly view, the seeking the things that are above is a God-focused life instead of a self-focused life. 
And when we have a God-focused life, we will then have an others-focused life. So the earthly view, the default, is narcissism. I am the center of the universe. My happiness, my pleasure, my meaning is the center of the universe. But when we are seeking the things that are above, we are God-focused. And then that leads us to be others-focused, where really we come third at best. Setting our mind on things above means that we are focused on the things of the spirit instead of the things of the flesh. We're focused on the things of God, the things of the spirit, the work that God is doing inside of us instead of just the flesh. Seeking the things that are above gives us hope in the midst of suffering instead of being stuck in despair. Seeking the things that are above bring about true joy and not temporary pleasures or happiness or hedonism. So this is what it looks like to set our mind on the things of the earth versus setting our mind on the things above. There's more which we'll get back to as we continue through the scripture here. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You want to talk about the gospel in one sentence, in one verse? There it is. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The first part, for you have died. This is what Jesus means when he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is what Jesus means when he says, I'm going to go first. I'm going to show you what it looks like to honor the Father by the giving of his very life on the cross for our sins, giving us spiritual life. For you have died just like Christ died. And then he says, come follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me each day. That's what Paul is referring to here. This is why we do baptism by immersion here at Grace. For adults that have placed their faith in Christ, it's an outward picture of what Christ has already done inside. You go under the water symbolizing Christ's death going into the grave. We're acting out what this verse says, for you have died. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. I am dead to my will. And without Christ, I am dead spiritually. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does this mean? There's a couple of concrete examples of this from the Old Testament that present us with a spiritual reality for us today, all based on what Christ has done. Moses was invited to meet with God on Mount Sinai. And Moses begged for mercy from God, but he also begged to see God in his glory. And God says, I will pass by you, Moses, and you will see my back as I go by, and you will hide in the cleft of the rock as I go by. And as the glory of God goes by, Moses is able to get a glimpse of the glory of God, but he can't see the full picture of who God is because God is so holy and Moses is so not. He is in the flesh, of the flesh, dead spiritually apart from God, just like you and I. Another picture is from Isaiah 6, where the glory of God fills the temple. 
but the angelic beings hide their faces and they float in the air. They can't touch the ground. They can't look upon the holiness of God. When Isaiah sees this picture of the glory of God, he says, I'm ruined. When we come face to face with the reality of a holy God, our first response is to recognize how fallen we are. How dead we are spiritually apart from him. Some kind of intervention. Some kind of way to be made righteous, to be made holy. This is the concept that Paul is talking about. When he says your life is hidden with Christ in God. We need God. We need to be raised from the dead spiritually. We need to be forgiven of our sins. We need to be made holy. And what we cannot accomplish on our own, being equal to the holiness of God or atoning for our own sins, Christ accomplishes on the cross for us. As I said earlier, in baptism, we go under the water signifying his death, but you don't stay there. You're brought back up out of the water because Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the grave showing that he was God and showing that the way to God has now been opened up to mankind. Christ suffered in our place. Christ took the punishment that we deserve for falling short of the glory of a holy God. So here Paul says that your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ and his righteousness, his holiness is enveloping us, wrapping us up, covering up our sin so that we can have life in God. On the cross, he took our sin and he gives us his righteousness. So we are hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life. Let's talk about this concept for a minute. Because of all Christ has done, he is now our life. If our life is hidden with Christ in God, now Christ is the one covering us up. And we are abiding in him, his love abiding in us. He has taken our sin, we take on his righteousness. Christ is now our life. Our life depends on the merit and the righteousness and the holiness of Christ. So now he is our life. In the rest of Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 17, we are going to read about a number of things that we are supposed to put off the deeds of the flesh and put on the deeds of the Spirit, back to this idea of where our mind is set. It starts talking about what our actions are. Are we putting on the deeds of the Spirit or, and putting off the deeds of the flesh? But if we just read through that in the rest of Colossians 3 or much of Scripture and see it as a checklist— we're in trouble. We can't keep up with God's holiness. We can't keep up with God's checklist. Or once in a while, we'll knock a few off and we'll feel real good about ourselves. And pretty soon, pride is going to come before our fall. And we're going to lose sight of what God has done for us. 
only when we realize that our life is hidden with Christ in God and Christ is our life can we do what the scripture commands. Folks, often God remains an abstract concept. The gospel remains an abstract concept. What he wants for us remains an abstract concept because we are viewing scripture as a spiritual to-do list and eventually you just give up because it's too hard. But if Christ is our life, we rest in, abide in, live by him and what he has done for us. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Ultimately, when Paul says set your minds on things above, he means all the things that we listed here earlier, but ultimately this is what he means. Your life is hidden with Christ and Christ sits at the right hand of the Father right now. That's an abstract concept because we haven't seen it in our eyes, but it's a concrete reality because he's sitting there right now. Christ is our life because our life is hidden with him, but Christ is also our life because he sits on a throne. He sits on the throne of the universe and he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he is our life because he sits on a throne and he rules and he reigns over the entire universe. And no one in the world right now can tell you where everything is headed with COVID or what this school year will be like. But I can tell you concretely that Jesus will be on the throne no matter what. That's how an abstract, a seemingly abstract reality becomes very concrete. We can rest in the fact that Christ sits on a throne today and the only time he will leave that throne is when he is coming back to rule and reign on an earthly throne and to bring heaven to earth and renew and restore and redeem everything that we see with our eyes. This is what it means to seek the things that are above, to seek Jesus, where he sits, to think about, to meditate on the reality of his kingship, of the throne that he sits on. This changes our daily reality when we remember that he is king and that he is returning. As I said earlier, baptism is a picture of this. In two weeks, we are going to have at least one baptism. If anyone else would like to be baptized after our service, we'll do them outside. And if anyone else would like to be baptized, please let me know. There's still time to meet with you and talk about baptism. But in two weeks after the service, we're going to have at least one baptism. And we'll have an opportunity to see a picture of the gospel. As we hear someone's testimony, but as we see them go under the water and brought back up into new life, an outward picture of inwardly what Christ has done. And he's given us these concrete things to do, these sacraments, these ordinances to do in order to remember the reality of his kingship and the reality of the gospel and the reality of the cross and the resurrected king. The kingdom of God will come. And it has come. 
as Christ lived and died and rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father, he also sends his spirit to live in his church. Not the building, the people. The concrete reality is that if your life is hidden with Christ in God, the spirit of the living God lives in you now. And we feel like it's abstract, but we can't see it, but it's concrete as the chair you sit in, that the spirit of the living God lives in you. And scripture calls that spirit a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. It's also part of what it means that the kingdom will come and already has come. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 27 will be up on the screen. But in 1 John 2, we find the Apostle John writing to a group of people that is being deceived by, by false teachers. And these false teachers are saying a number of things, but one of the main things that they're saying is that John and the other apostles have no authority to teach about who Jesus really was. And they want the church and God's people and Jews to remain in an abstract mindset about who God is. But John starts off this epistle in 1 John 1 saying, we touched him with our very hands. He was concrete and he really is God. Then in chapter 2, he says a couple of amazing things. In verse 20, he says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Then in verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as as it has been taught you, abide in him. This idea of anointing, very quickly in the Old Testament, a new king would be anointed, commissioned by the pouring over the head of oil. That was an anointing, where the king was anointed to be a representative to be a small king on a small throne to represent the king of all kings who would sit on a throne when his kingdom come. Then we are told that Christ was anointed, not just as king, but as God. In fact, we get the word Christ from the Greek word anointed one. Jesus was the ultimate anointed one. But then here John goes a step further and says the holy one Jesus has now anointed you. Has now anointed you. So John doesn't, he not only says that to contradict those that are trying to deceive you, you not only can take my word for it, you can rest in the fact that the Holy One has anointed you. You don't need anyone new to teach you anything because the Holy One says, you abide in me. Friends, we reach out for all kinds of things to find our way in this world. We look for life and joy 
and sometimes even happiness in all kinds of places. And by the common grace of God and by the sovereignty of God, those things can help us. They can bring about greater understanding of the things of God. But friends, if you are hidden with Christ in God, you have everything that you need. I know what some of you are facing right now. I don't know what all of you are facing right now. But I can stand on the authority of Scripture and say that if you are hidden with Christ in God, if the Holy One has anointed you, if the Spirit of the living God lives inside of you, you have everything that you need for whatever you face. Small battle, large battle, small suffering, large-scale suffering, whatever it is, you have everything that you need in the gospel. You can find concrete help in the concrete reality of what Christ has done for you and where he sits today because he sits on a throne. Friends, I want to talk about a very specific application of why this is so important to us in our world right now. As I said earlier, we have no idea where things are headed with COVID. Anyone who says differently, it's just a guess. We're just guessing. We don't really know. I don't know what the future holds. I don't want to go back to requiring everyone to wear masks. I don't want to go back to cooking outside. Literally not like food, but my flesh cooking as I preach outside. I don't want to go back to 22 weeks of meeting for church online. I don't want our daily reality or this school year impacted by COVID. I don't want my wife and others of you to see people dying in our hospitals. I don't want the dissension and the controversy and the fighting that we saw over COVID and masks and all the things. But ultimately, we don't know where things are headed. We can rest that Christ sits on the throne. Whatever may come, whatever may come, no matter what we go through as a society, no matter what you go through in your place of work or in your school or in your neighborhood or your family, Christ sits on the throne. And our greatest trial, in our greatest moment of not knowing what the future holds, we can rest in the concrete reality of who Christ is, what he's done, and where he sits today. Would you pray with me? We are going to spend a few moments here in song. meditating on celebrating the concrete reality of who God is 
and how he changes our everyday life. Father, we worship you because of what you have done for us. Help us to see clearly who you are and what you have done. Would you stand with me?